Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez. Today is Wednesday, July the 31st, 2019. The end of July, unbelievable. It is 4 p.m. in New York and 1 p.m. in Los Angeles. That would be 9 p.m. in London, and I believe that works out to 5 a.m. in Tokyo and 6 a.m. in Sydney, Australia. But wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining us for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy, and happy Neville Day to everybody, because it's Wednesday, and Wednesday is Neville Day. How are you doing, Cindy? It's Neville Day. How about that? It is. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Um, I let listeners know yesterday, I'll let you know, now my mom died over the weekend. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. But uh, it was not I'm unexpected. Sorry. And, uh, she'd been kind of ailing for some time. And, and so, I mean, she was one month shy of her 90th birthday. So it was not terribly surprising or anything, but yeah. Wow. But, uh, yeah, the biggest impact was actually on my sister because she was the caregiver for my mom. So she's the one dealing with most of it. I deal with it from afar, which is a whole lot easier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that, that kind of, uh, it's a major life event and it's impactful. But uh, I, I, like I was talking about yesterday with Alex and Bill, I am so appreciative of all that I've learned by doing this podcast, talking with you, with Joel, with everybody else, because, I mean, I'm coming through this swimmingly. Right. And my sister's doing really well, too. My brother's doing right. well. Yeah, I mean, we're all coming through this really well, and we're all law of attraction believers. So um, it's amazing how when you learn really how everything works, when you learn you know, what law of attraction teachers teach about the true nature of spirits, of source energy and so forth. I, I mean, it goes, it far surpasses anything that I've ever heard from religion. I actually have this really calm feeling because my mom is now in a good place. I believe it. I'm, heck, I'm already getting messages. It's unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> I was just running errands. I, I told you before we started the podcast, right. I was running some errands for my wife's business. And at one point, um, just before we entered a thunderstorm area, I heard this knocking. I said, what's knocking? There's like knocking on the roof of the car. And I'm looking around and there's no reason to have knocking. There's nothing that, that could be banging around that could explain it or whatever. Nothing in the, in the van that could explain it. And I finally realized somebody's saying hello. So I said, hello. And the <laughs> knocking stopped. I think it was my mom <laughs> saying hello. <laughs> wow. That's, that's so cool. Um, I actually had, a friend who's no, who she's no longer with us, but she had lost uh, a son, a teenage son. Mm. So it's very difficult. Right. And she had gone on to write a book about how our loved ones uh, connect with us and let us know they're, they're there. And it was, it was really, really cool. Some of the stories that she collected from people uh, yeah. that, were, that were in that book. And, I know uh, right right after that book came out, uh, my son's best friend was in an accident and didn't make it. And mm-hmm. it was really, really awful. And mm-hmm. had just gotten back, um, kind of, he had moved away and then moved back. And we had just gotten back in touch with him. And they were in their early 20s. And he had come over about two weeks before he died in the accident. He had come over and brought me a peach tree a little baby peach tree. And so we had planted it and the peach tree was, you know, it never really did very well. And then one day it bloomed and, and there was some some other things happened that was like so obvious to us. Anyway, we're like, that's a hello. Uh (laughs) So when you have that perspective where you can stay open to recognizing, you know, signs and things like that. When my, my mother was alive, she had this thing about the number 444. Like mm. It showed up for her everywhere, not just on the clock, but on mm-hmm. lots of plates and buildings, and she mm-hmm. just saw it everywhere. And when she passed away, my sister and I, the, the first month she was gone, my sister and I saw that number everywhere in the weirdest places. <laughs> uh, and it was just really funny because one day I got, I got a, an email from my mom's computer, but my mom was no longer with us and there was no message in the email, but there was some number somewhere and it was 444. And I asked my stepfather, I was like, have you been using mom's computer? And he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's kind of wonderful that you've already noticed some 
some waves hello there. Yeah, yeah, and I, I didn't even make the connection that it might be my mom until I got home because I was I was rushing because I mean it was coming up on time to do the, the show right. and I'm thinking oh geez I got to get there I sent a message like oh geez and then I got here I'm sitting down I'm talking to you I'm realizing oh of course that's that's what's from how did I not make that connection it's obvious to me now but at the time it's like what well, who's knocking on the roof of the van <laughs> it, it was so funny um, there's there's kind of an old um, an old idea that's been around a long time and it's I think it's connected to the pennies from heaven and it's like when you find a penny it's some you know a passed on loved one that's saying hello mm, okay well after my mom went we kept finding nickels which was really cracking us up because my mom loved to play nickel slot machines <laughs> and oh that's funny <laughs> we joked about it we said oh hi mom that must be mom and one day my sister my sister was here with me she was visiting and we were standing in the grocery store and there was that little some of the older grocery stores have the little kind of table that's right in front of you small it's like it used right. to be write a check on nobody writes checks anymore usually but um it was for that and we the person gets finished in front of us and leaves and we're standing there and we run through our other thing and there was nothing on that thing. And we started to walk away and the checker said, excuse me, miss. And we turned around and she said, is that yours? And there were two nickels. <laughs> One for each of us. We said no. And she said, well, the person before you didn't have change. I don't know why that's there. So we took it. <laughs> that is funny. That's yeah. great though. Fun yeah. stories, you know, and, you're right. Once we have a different worldview and a different philosophy about what happens once we're no longer in this, you know, incarnation or whatever, it's a lot easier. It's still hard to let go of people we love because we love them and we're going to miss them or maybe they've suffered, but sure is a lot easier than some of the other belief systems that would have you. you no, know, no kidding. And, and actually with my mom, it wasn't difficult because the last time I physically saw my mom was last September when Louise and I drove down to Virginia to my niece's wedding. And we visited her. That was the last time I physically saw her. And it was so obviously obvious to me, Cindy. I mean, so clear. She didn't want to be here anymore. She was done. She was done with life. She wanted to move on to the next realm. And yeah. I mean, and, and I seem to be the only person who picked up on it. I don't know why. that. I, I thought everybody saw it. Apparently, I, I was the only one who saw it. But it was just so, so obvious. Well, that's not true. My sister, I think, because she lived there you know, day to day. I think she was... Um, she was definitely seeing the decline. Let's put it that way. In fact, the last two weeks or so had been particularly difficult, but um, yeah, it was just, it was obvious she was done. And, and that's something Abraham teaches. Abraham tells us we decide when we're going to go. Um, I, I think my mom decided a little bit earlier, but she, she made the decision. She was done. Yeah. I think I told you this story before I used to work for a, a naturopathic doctor and we had people come in all the time. We had certain protocols and we saw people get better very quickly all the time, all the time. And a woman came to us, but she came to us because her daughters brought her to us first. Uh, right. Yeah. And the thing the, the medical tests and everything that were there, it really looked like, well, this shouldn't be hard. We know, we know how to handle this. Right. But mm -hmm. didn't really respond to anything we were doing. And I was so confused over it because I had seen all of these treatments. I've seen people respond so well and, and the daughters were very upset. And, and I asked the doctors, I said, why, why do you think that we're not seeing, you know, any response? And she said, well, I'll be honest with you. I think, I think the mother has lost the will to live mm -hmm. and she's only here because her daughters brought her. Yeah. She doesn't really want to be here anyway because she's done. And she <clears> said, once someone has lost the will to live. There's very little you can do to prolong their life. And at the time, I didn't know about, you know, any of Abraham's stuff or any of this stuff. I never heard anybody else say that. And I was kind of like, wow, that's like huge. You yeah. know? And then, of course, reading Abraham and different philosophies, and I hear that a lot now. It's like, yeah. If, you know, Abraham, I think, says if we really – if we really realized the focus that we have, we could just decide whenever we were ready. We wouldn't have to go through all the pain and suffering if we, you know, so that's, that's an interesting thought. Now I do have a fun LOA story to, to relay from my sister. This happened. My mom died uh, Saturday morning and PJ was kind of in shock. As you might imagine, she didn't realize she was in shock. She, she realized after the fact that she was in shock at the time, she was so much in shock. She didn't know she was in shock. 
<laughs> but um, after she called the paramedics and the police come and all that, because all the stuff you have to do, um, and they were really nice, really, really helpful. Kudos to the Norfolk, Virginia police and EMTs for the way they handled it. Um, but after they were gone and, and my mom's body had been removed and so forth, my sister walked down to the beach because they live about two blocks from the beach. So it's a, it's a real short walk. And she walked down there. And by the time she got there, she, she, she was saying to herself, well, it's only late in the day. So I'll just go, you know, I'll go down to the beach for a little bit. Well, actually, it was probably after midnight. That's how, you know. Her, her perception of everything had kind of fallen apart because of what was going on. So she's down there at midnight and she's just sitting in the sand and, and, and she was telling me on the phone how uh, she'd been told by psychics that uh, sand is really good to sit on because it's a great way to de-stress. It will literally pull the stress out of you. It has um, electromagnetic properties so it can actually conduct, which is true because sand is made of silicone, which is the basis of a computer chip. So, you know, certainly it's capable of conducting uh, electricity. That's why I feel um, so good when I go to the beach. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. So anyway, she's sitting there, and she's calming down. She's de-stressing and just kind of, you know, enjoying being there and, and relaxing. And she starts, I don't know why, I don't think she even knew why, but she starts thinking to herself, you know, and she's talking to her own spirit guides or guardian angels or what do you want to say. She, she says, you know, I, I think I want to change what I'm trying to manifest. I've been asking for other things, but right now I'm thinking I want to start manifesting different ways of improving health and being able to manifest specifically. I mean, she, she told me, she reminded me about the stories that uh, Jesus was associated with making, you know, uh, finding enough fish to feed the multitudes from a small basket and all that kind of thing. Um, you know, being able to manifest bread out of thin air, all that, all that sort of stuff. She says, well, I don't really need bread. I don't, bread isn't something I like to eat, but I'd like to be able to manifest say fish or vegetables or whatever. And as soon as she said that, she heard this sound that was like rain hitting the water, but it was clear. And she looks around and she sees this, this, now this is, this is night. So seeing this is actually a pretty significant thing. She sees this cloud right hovering over a portion of the ocean that she's sitting in front of. And she gets up because it's dark, but she gets up and walks up to the edge of the water and realizes that there's all this activity on the surface of the water. It's fish jumping out of the water. <laughs> and, and she was blown away by it. And she, she said, I don't really need to eat any, any of you guys now. You can go home. <laughs> and then she starts walking back to her home, and the cloud follows her along the beach. Wow. Wow. Now, the, here's, the, here's the funniest part of all. My sister says, no, I don't think that was really a manifestation. I said, are you kidding me? Of course that was a manifestation. <laughs> I think she was trying to talk herself out of that being anything really significant, but that's pretty I mean, powerful. That might might be a little scary, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so I heard that story. I said, "Okay, well, yeah." My sister once again proving she has more powerful psychic abilities than she realizes. Right, that, that PJ, that J might be for Jesus now, right? <laughs> I'll tell her that one. I'll tell her that one. That's so, fantastic. That's yeah. Fantastic. Well. Yeah. My uh, condolences for the part of you that may be hurting, if any, but I'm glad that it was an easy transition for it was family. Yeah, and we're all yeah, we're all we're all coming through it really well. Um, we've actually, I already know how we react because we went through it with my dad ten years ago, and I, I think I've told you the story before. But right. we went to the memorial service, and before the memorial service, we met with the minister of that church in their, they call it, I think they call it their upper room, um, right near the sanctuary. And after just sitting and chatting with him for about 10 or 15 minutes, I realized what we were there for. We were there for him to comfort us, and none of us needed comforting. <laughs> and, and, I mean, it was just, it was a, a surreal experience because we ended up, uh, they, they had the service. During the service, he, he actually took time out to um, praise us to the entire congregation in terms of how, um, um, strong he thought our faith was, which was ironic because almost none of us were churchgoers. But nevertheless, we were all very strongly believed, yeah, dad's fine, no problem, no big deal here, you know. And then we went to the, uh, they had a, a reception afterward, and all of the church members who were good friends with my mom and dad were coming up to us. And normally it's like they're, they'd be coming up to us to console us, but it was the other way around. They were the ones who were breaking it. We were consoling them. Yes. So we were the family members consoling the people who were there. To, it was so weird. <laughs> it was really strange. Well, you know, 
your faith is strong, just maybe not in the way that the pastor thought, right? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, faith is not necessarily religious. It's just it, what it, it is what it is. It's faith. It's right? belief. Yeah. And we talk, Neville talks about it all the time. He certainly does. And I suspect he's probably going to talk about it in The Law and the Promise because that's, this is this is his magnum opus. This is the big one for him. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm excited about today's chapter because it's got a good story in it, and that's all. Oh, I love stories. Right. So let's talk about uh, announcements. Do you have some announcements for us before we get started? I think we should probably do some promos, shouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, for those who are not yet subscribers, most of our listeners are subscribers. We know like 85% or so are subscribers. But for you, 10 or 15% who may be hearing us for the first time or this is like your second or third episode, come on, join the fun. It's so easy. It's free. All you have to do is go to LOAToday.net, and at the top of the web page, you will see instructions on how to uh, subscribe using your particular device. It's it's written device by device. And then once you walk through those steps, it's really quick. It takes 30 seconds. Um, then, of course, share the fact with others that you've subscribed so that they can get their daily doses of happy five days a week. And uh, you know, feel free also to, to subscribe to us on YouTube because we live stream each of these episodes on YouTube. Um, you can just go there and look for, do a search on LOA Today podcast videos and we'll pop up. Uh, and just, you know, subscribe and make sure you hit the little bell to get notified every single time that we are live or actually uh, just uploading a video either way. And you'll be able to follow us that way as well. So there are our announcements for the day. Very good. Very good. Well, I'm ready to, to dive in. If Let's do it. I'm ready. I got the book in hand. I am ready. Awesome. All right. Well, we're working our way through the law and the promise. Neville Goddard's uh very probably most important book, we like to say, just because it's probably the most widely read, um, and because it was one of his later books. And so it seems like to us, who we've read quite a few of his books, that his his teaching style was evolving, and he was kind of getting clearer and clearer on how he presented. And so here we are today with the book that he's actually going to give us some stories about people who have used his methods and they would write to him or speak with him. And so he picked some of the good ones. So mm. the name of this chapter is Dwell Therein. And he starts with a, a quote from George Herbert, or in, here in Louisiana, we would say Hebert. Yeah. Um, he says, my God, I heard this day that none doth build a stately habitation, but he that means to dwell therein. What house more stately hath there been, or can be, than is man, to whose creation all things are in decay? Um, interesting, you know, that idea that why would you build a big house if you weren't going to live in it? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what he's saying, right? Right. Poetic way. And he's saying that what what more stately house is there than man? Uh, he says, Which is cool. It's a cool concept. Right? So what dwells in us? Well, we know, uh, we know that God dwells in us. According to Neville, God is our imagination. And that's where we're going with this. So Neville says, I wish it were true of man's noble dreams, but unfortunately, perpetual construction, deferred occupancy, is the common <laughs> fault of man. <laughs> what a way to phrase it. I love it. Right? <laughs> Why build a stately habitation unless you intend to dwell therein? Why build a dream house and not dwell therein? This is the secret of those who lie in bed awake while they dream things true. They know how to live in their dream until, in fact, they do just that. Man, through the medium of a controlled waking dream, can predetermine his future. That imaginal activity of living in the feeling of the wish fulfilled, leads man across a bridge of incident to the fulfillment of the dream. If we live in the dream, thinking from it and not of it, I like to say not about it. I don't know why, but that makes it clearer to me. So mm-hmm. from it and not just about it, right? Then the creative power of imagining will answer our adventurous fancy and the wish fulfilled will break in upon us and take us unawares. <laughs> man is all imagination. Therefore, man must be where he is in imagination, for his imagination is himself. To realize 
that imagination is not something tied to the senses or enclosed within the spatial boundary of the body is most important. Although man moves about in space by movement of his physical body, he need not be so restricted. He can move by a change in what he is aware of. However real the scene on which sight rests, man can gaze on one never before witnessed. He can always remove the mountain if it upsets his concept of what life ought to be. This ability to mentally move from things as they are to things as they ought to be is one of the most important discoveries that man can make. It reveals man is a center of imagining with powers of intervention which enable him to alter the course of observed events, moving from success to success through a series of mental transformations of nature, of others, of himself. I'm going to stop there before yeah. we go on to the story, just to kind of talk about what we just read. Something that I think is so interesting is where he says, where he talks at the beginning about, Perpetual construction, deferred occupancy. Mm. And I think that's what happens with, with us in the law of attraction, you know, uh, realm. <laughs> when, when we continually are thinking about the things we want instead of thinking from them. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, we might think we're doing the work and we might be spending the time and energy imagining this thing but if we're looking at it from afar and thinking that it's going to we're going to enjoy it someday you know like that whole idea of i'll be happy when right it's going to feel so great when this happens Mm -hmm. instead of imagining it and feeling what it would feel like now when we're doing that thing where we see it afar off and it's going to happen someday and isn't that going to be great I think that's when we're in the perpetual construction and deferred occupancy mode. Yeah. 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 And I'd also add that there's nothing wrong with thinking about. There's nothing wrong with feeling about. What he's, what The point I think he's making is if you really want to put the pedal to the metal, if you really want to accelerate and get the power behind it, you got to be in it. you got to be a part of it. That's where it's got to actually happen in your imagination. That's where yeah. you're going to get – that's where the metal really – or the rubber really meets the road. That's where it really happens. Right. And so and I think that he, this story is going to really outpicture that nicely. So he says, for many years, a doctor and his wife dreamed about their stately habitation, but not until they imaginatively lived in it did they manifest it. Here's <laughs> their story. Some 15 years ago, and this is written, it's a, a letter written to him. So it's speaking from the voice of, the man that told the story. And, said, was, and 15 years ago, it also has to be put into context because this book was published in 1961. So 15 years ago was 1946. 1946, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Especially if they get into the money, it will sound really weird. I yeah, right. <laughs> Some 15 years ago, Mrs. M and I purchased a lot on which we built a two-story building housing our office and living area. We left ample space on the lot for an apartment building if and when our finances would permit. All those years we were busy paying off our mortgage, and at the end of that time had no money for the additional building we still desired so much. It was true that we had an ample savings account, which meant security for our business, but to use any part of it for a new building would be to jeopardize that security. But now your teaching awakened a new concept, boldly telling us, we could have what we most desired through the controlled use of our imagination and that realizing a desire was made more convincing without money. (laughs) We decided to put it to a test, to forget about money and concentrate our attention on the thing we desired most in this world, the new apartment building. With this principle in mind, we mentally constructed the new building as we wanted it actually drawing physical plans so we could better formulate our mental picture of the completed structure, never forgetting to think from the end, in our case, the completed occupied building. We took many imaginative trips through our apartment house, renting the units to imaginary tenants, examining in detail every room, and enjoying the feeling of pride as friends offered congratulations on the unique planning. 
we brought into our imaginal scene one friend in particular. I shall call her Mrs. X. A lady we'd not seen for some time, as she had given us up socially, believing us a bit peculiar in our new way of thinking. Well, they were. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> in our ima- so she 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 had said, "I'm not hanging out with these wackos." Right. <laughs> Enough of this woo-woo nonsense. In our imaginal scene, we took her through the building and asked her how she liked it. Hearing her voice distinctly, we had her reply, "Doctor, I think it's beautiful." One day, while talking together of our building, my wife mentioned a contractor who had constructed several apartment houses in our neighborhood. We knew of him only by the name that appeared on signs adjacent to buildings under construction. But realizing that if we were living in the end, we would not be looking for a contractor, we promptly forgot this angle. Continuing these periods of daily imagining for several weeks, we both felt we were now fused with our desire and had successfully been living in the end. One day, a stranger entered our office and identified himself as the contractor whose name my wife had mentioned weeks before. In an apologetic manner, he said, I don't know why I stopped here. I normally don't go to see people, but rather people come to see me. He explained that he passed our office often and had wondered why there wasn't an apartment building on the corner lot. We assured him we would very much like to have such a building there, but we had no money to put into the project, not even the few hundred dollars that it would take for the plans. Our negative response did not faze him, and seemingly compelled, he began to figure and devise ways and means to carry out the job, unasked and unencouraged by us. (laughs) Forgetting the incident, we were quite startled when a few days later this man called, informing us that plans were completed and that the proposed building would cost us $30,000. We thanked him politely and did absolutely nothing. We knew we had been living imaginatively in the end of a completed building, and that imagination would assemble that building perfectly without any outside assistance from us. So we were not surprised when the contractor called again the next day to say he had found a set of blueprints in his files that fitted our needs perfectly with few alterations. This, we were informed, would save us the architect's fee for the new plans. We thanked him again and still did nothing. (laughs) I love that part. He he keeps repeating that line. And we still did nothing. (laughs) (laughs) The guy keeps calling every day and they're like, thank you very much. And then they don't do anything. They don't do anything. (laughs) Logical thinkers would insist that such negative response from prospective customers would completely end the matter. Instead, two days later, the contractor again called with the news that he had located a finance company willing to cover the necessary loan with the exception of a few thousand dollars. It sounds incredible, but we still did nothing. For remember, to us, this building was completed and rented, and in our imagination, We had not put one penny into its construction. The balance of this tale reads like a sequel to Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) For the contractor came to our office the next day and said, as though presenting us with a gift, you people are going to have that new building anyway. I've decided to finance the balance of the loan myself. (laughs) If this is agreeable, I'll have my lawyer draw up the papers and you can pay me back out of net profits from rentals. This time, we did do something. We <laughs> the papers, and construction began immediately. Most of the apartment units were rented before final completion, and all but one occupied the day of completion. Wow. We were so thrilled by the seemingly miraculous events of the past few months that for a while we didn't understand this seeming flaw in our imaginal picture. But knowing what we had already accomplished through the power of imagining We immediately conceived another imaginal scene, and in it, this time, instead of showing the party through the unit and hearing the words, we'll take it, we ourselves in imagination visited tenants who had already moved in that apartment. We allowed them to show us through the rooms and heard their pleased and satisfied comments. Three days later, that apartment was rented. Our original imaginary drama had objectified itself in every detail save one. And that one became a reality when one month later, 
our friend, Mrs. X, surprised us with a long overdue visit, expressing her desire to see the new building. Gladly we took her through, and at the end of the tour, heard her speak the line we had heard in our imagination so many weeks before, as with emphasis on each word, she said, Doctor, I think it is beautiful. Our dream of 15 years was realized, and now we now know that it could have been realized any time within those 15 years if we had known the secret of imagining and how to live in the end of desire. But now it was realized. Our one big desire was objectified, and we did not put one penny of our own money into it. Wow. <laughs> I love wow. this story so much. Yeah. <laughs> because... It I realized that so many times um, people, and, and I know I've done this, is when I've wanted to manifest a certain thing, I've figured out how to manifest the money for it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I mean, I, certainly I don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. Um, I've learned how to manifest money to to buy things that mm -hmm. I, you know, I want or need or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is such a detour around all of that because so so many of us have so many complicated money stories, right? We have so many stories about money and what what it means that we have it or that we don't. And, and by the way, we're really good at writing them, I have to add. I mean, we, we, we come up with these really <laughs> intricate, elaborate stories about how we don't have any money. It's amazing how good we are. Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, what it means to have money. I mean, a, yeah. lot, a lot of people... Mm -hmm have struggles with what that means to have money or we're afraid right. of having too much money or not enough money or exactly. Whatever. And so to, to work on a creation from the standpoint of going into it, of let's manifest the money for it. Um, I love that these people just said, we're not even, let's, it's, they thought that it would be a better manifestation. Yes. They did it without money. I mean, that's yeah. what I said right at the very beginning, right? They mm -hmm. decided, you know what, this will be, this will be cooler. <laughs> this will be Which it was. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. They, you know, they, they, they basically did. The, the thing that I've always noticed about the stories that get told by people who follow somebody like Neville Goddard, and that's what these people were doing, is that their stories, inevitably, the ones who produce the really great results, their stories are always about how they didn't do anything to deviate from the plan. They just did exactly what they were told and no more. Mm -hmm. They didn't try to elaborate on it. They didn't try to make it more intricate or more better or, you know, treat it like the committee designing a horse. They, they just followed the steps. They just followed the instructions and they didn't, they didn't get themselves down a rabbit hole, essentially, to use their Alice in Wonderland metaphor. I mean, they, they didn't get stuck right. down a rabbit hole. And, you know, another thing that came to, to my attention recently is that, that I, it came to my attention because I was doing it, but I noticed other people do it as well. And that is we set out to manifest a certain thing. And then, and you know, most of the time, the things that we create consciously don't happen instantly. Right. Mm -hmm. PK aside. <laughs> most of the time I've had things manifest pretty quickly, but most of the time when I set out like these people, they set out to manifest an apartment. We do live on Earth where construction has to happen. So they mm -hmm. didn't walk out five minutes later and, oh, look, a fully made apartment. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I have to go through the process. Mm -hmm. And so many times when that process doesn't happen instantly, which is 99% of the time, um, we may find ourselves focusing on manifesting something else. Like we... You know, we, we change our idea of what we might want or, oh, this didn't happen. And so, oh, you know, I'm going to manifest this. And especially here's where I noticed it in groups where we're working on manifesting things together or in a program or even a coaching program. It's not sticking to that one thing mm. until it happens. Yeah. Until we see the fruit of the tree, so to speak. And so I think it's interesting because I did not, in my mind, tally up time. But I know this took time. I don't know if it took a year. I don't know how much time. I mean, I know they'd been wanting it for 15 years, but at the end said we could have done it any time within the 15 years. Mm -hmm. I know that it was, you know, weeks, months, you know, seasons that go by before 
they said, here it is. Everything's manifested. And that's, I think, something that that I'm working on is that staying with something until I see it happen. Mm, yes. If it's taking longer than, you know, a short period of time, not swapping up my whatever I'm working on. Well, I love the way they said it in the story. They actually made that part of their story. Uh, the fifth paragraph, they said, um, let's see, read through that part. Uh, but realizing that if we were in the end, we would not be looking for a contractor. We probably forgot the, the angle about uh, having thought about this contractor. Continuing these periods of daily imagining for several weeks, we both felt we were now fused with our desire and had successfully been living in the end. So they tell it right there. They said they spent several weeks doing this. They right. did it daily. And in that daily activity, they were imagining what it felt like to be, in their words, to be fused with their desire and actually living in that end. So that's the, the part that you talked about earlier, being in it rather than about it or of it or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, they actually managed to get to the point where they believed they were living it, which is that, that takes a lot of work to get there, but you can do it. I love that they that they started talking about a contractor that they'd seen his name around and then decided, yes. wait a minute, we don't need a contractor. It's already done. I it's already that done, right? Perfect. Yeah, that's so perfect. The contractor shows up, and not only does he show up, he ends up orchestrating the whole thing. Like, you got to be <laughs> kidding me. This is insane. <laughs> so so Neville, Neville's commentary on this letter, he says, <clears throat> excuse me, he says through the medium of, of a dream, a controlled waking dream, the doctor and his wife created reality. They learned how to live in their dream house as, in fact, they now do. Although help seemingly came from without, the course of events was ultimately determined by the imaginal activity of the doctor and his wife. The participants were drawn into their imaginal drama because it was dramatically necessary that they should be. Their imaginal structure demanded it. I think it's so interesting that when the contractor came and said, I don't know why I'm here. Right. I don't go see people. They come to see me. Yeah. And I'm yeah. sure he didn't go out of his way to finance projects for people. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, here's a quote. All things by a law divine in one another's being mingle from Shelley. Love's philosophy. Mm. Wow. So it sounds like we're going to get another story. And it's another story about... A home. As it says, the following story illustrates... By, by the way, this is... I can't begin to tell you how appropriate these stories are for us. Because Louise and I just now are in the place of wanting... Well, we've been wanting for quite some time, but we've we've really started intensely in the last few days wanting to manifest a home. So this is like right in the wheelhouse. Perfect. I was thinking about the, uh, the Law of Attraction success stories book that we did. Mm-hmm. And that many of them were people, many of those stories that came in were people telling about manifesting homes. More than any other kind of story, actually. That was yeah. the number one topic of stories. Yeah. yeah. And, I remember, and I remember you telling me that when we were first, they were, the stories were coming in and you said, guess what the number one kind of story. <laughs> That's not what I guessed either. I didn't think that would be it. And you said, right. people manifesting like dream homes. Yeah. Like, and the stories were incredible. So, yeah. uh, so here's the next story. Uh, the following story illustrates the way in which a lady prepared her stately habitation by imaginatively sleeping in it or dwelling therein. A few months ago, my husband decided to place our home on the market. The main object for the move, which we had discussed many times, was to find a home large enough for the two of us, my mother and my aunt, in addition to ten cats Three dogs and one parakeet. <laughs> <Ooh>, a <laughs> <Wow>. zoo. <laughs> Believe it or not, the contemplated move was my husband's ideas. He loved my mother and aunt and said I was at their house most of the time anyway. <laughs> so why not live together and pay one? Time? <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like the idea tremendously, but I knew that this new home would have to be something very special in size, location, and arrangement, as I insisted on privacy for all concerns. Smart woman. So at the moment, I was undecided whether to sell our present home or not, but I didn't argue, as I knew quite well from past experience with imagining that our house would never sell until I stopped 
quote, sleeping in it. Ooh, boy. I got to mark that one. Okay. Uh-huh. Two months and four or five real estate brokers later, my husband had given up on the sale of our house, and so had the brokers. At this point, I had convinced myself I now wanted to change. So for four nights, in my imagination, I went to sleep in the kind of home I would like to own. On the fifth day, my husband had an appointment at a friend's home, and while there, met a stranger who just happened to be looking for a house in the hills. He was, of course, brought swiftly back to see our house, which he walked through once and said, I'll buy it. (laughs) This didn't make us very popular with the brokers, but that was all right with me, as I was happy to keep the broker's commission in the (laughs) Very generous of her. (laughs) We moved within 10 days and stayed with my mother while looking for our new home. We listed our requirements with every agent on the Sunset Strip, only because I wouldn't move out of the area, and each one of them, without exception, informed us we were both mad. Hmm. It was entirely impossible, they said, to find an older home of English style with two separate living rooms, separate apartments, a library, and built on a flat knoll with enough ground space to fence for large dogs, and located in one particular area. When we told them the price we would pay for this house, they just looked sad. <laughs> I said, of course they were sad. They didn't think they were going to get a commission out of it. <laughs> I said that wasn't all we wanted. We wanted wood paneling all through the house, a huge fireplace, a magnificent view, and seclusion. No close neighbors, please. At this point, the lady agent would giggle and remind me that there was no such house, but if there were they would realize five times what we were willing to pay. But I knew there was such a house because my imagination had been sleeping in it. And if I am my imagination, then I had been sleeping in it. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I don't know about what you're reading, but where I'm reading, it says I had been sleeping in it. In is, is, is turned into italic. So she was like <laughs> saying I was in it. Right. By the second week, We had exhausted five real estate offices, and the gentleman in the sixth office was looking a little wild when one of his partners, who had not spoken until then, said, why don't you show him the place up King's Road? A third partner in the office laughed sourly and said, that property isn't even listed, and besides, the old lady would throw you off the property. She's got two acres up there, and you know she wouldn't split. Well, I didn't know what she wouldn't split, but my interest had been aroused by the street name, for I like that particular area best of all. So I asked, why not just take a look anyway, for laughs? As we drove up the street and turned off onto the private road, we approached a large two-story house built of redwood and brick, English in appearance, surrounded by tall trees and sitting alone and aloof on its own knoll, viewing the city below from all of its many windows. I felt a peculiar excitement as we walked to the front door and were greeted by a lovely woman who graciously asked us in. I do not think I breathed for the next minute, (laughs) for I had walked into the most exquisite room I had ever seen. The solid redwood walls and the brick of a great fireplace rose to a height of 28 feet, culminating in an arched ceiling joined together by huge redwood beams. Wow. The room was straight out of Dickens. And I could almost hear Christmas carolers singing on the balcony (laughs) of the upstairs dining room, which looked out over the living room. A great cathedral window gave a view of sky, mountains, and city far below. And the beautiful old redwood walls glowed in the sunlight. We were shown through a spacious apartment on the lower floor with a connecting library, separate entrance, and a separate patio. Two staircases led upward to a long hall opening into two separated bedrooms and baths. And at the end of the hall was, yes, a second living room opening out onto a second patio screened by trees and redwood fencing. Built on two acres of beautifully landscaped grounds, I began to understand what the agent had meant by saying she wouldn't split, for on one acre stood a large swimming pool and pool house completely separated from the main house but undoubtedly belonging to it. It did indeed seem to be an impossible situation, as we did not want two acres of highly taxable property plus a swimming pool a block away from the house. Before we left, I walked through that magnificent living room, 
once more going up the stairs to the dining room balcony. I turned and looked down, saw my husband standing by the fireplace, pipe in hand, with an expression of perfect satisfaction on his face. I placed my hands on the balcony railing and watched him for a moment. When we were back in the real estate office, the three agents were ready to close for the day, but my husband detained them, saying, let's make her an offer anyway. Maybe she will split the property. What can we lose? One agent left the office without a word. <laughs> Another said, this, is, this idea is ridiculous. The agent we had originally talked to said, forget it. It's a pipe dream. My husband is not easily annoyed, but when he is, there is no more stubborn creature on earth. <laughs> he was now annoyed. He sat down, slammed his hand on a desk, and roared, it's your business to submit offers, isn't it? They agreed that this was so and finally promised to submit our offer on the property. We left, and that night, in my imagination, I stood on that dining room balcony and looked down at my husband standing by the fireplace. He looked up at me and said, Well, honey, how do you like our new home? And I said, I love it. I continued to see that beautiful room and my husband in it and felt the balcony railing gripped in my hands until I fell asleep. The next day, as we were having dinner in my mother's house, the telephone rang and the agent, in an unbelieving voice, informed me that we had just purchased a house. The owner had split the property right down the middle, giving us the house and the acre it stood on for the price we offered. Crazy. Wow. <laughs> oh. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Neville, Neville. I like that about Neville's stories, by the way. Neville's stories, I mean, so often we tell stories or hear stories that are approximations of what we were looking for. You know, they come close. And right. they say come so close that, I mean, it was very clear that we manifested this. His, the stories he collects come in perfectly, exactly on what was imagined. Right. And, you know, I mean, you read this, and this isn't like we want a three-bedroom, two-bath home on a certain street. Right. This is ridiculous. This is this is beyond ridiculous. This is, this is like the real estate agent said, this is a house that doesn't exist. There are, you, you're not going to find a house like that. They don't do it. That, there's no way. They laughed at the idea. They so found it ludicrous. So this was my favorite part of the whole story is the, that the, the realtor says, you're describing a house that doesn't even exist. And the woman says, I know it existed because I've been sleeping in it. Yeah. Because we've talked about this before. Neville talks about this a lot. That, yes, we can put ourselves in a chair and get into a meditative state and go through our vignettes our, our imaginings anytime we want, but Neville stresses that we need to take advantage of that time in between awake and asleep, that time where we're drifting off to sleep. Mm -hmm. And we've read it in several of his books. And so that's why this, to me, it's like so great. <laughs> like she just decided I'm sleeping in that house. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yep. every detail, amazing. So Neville, Neville quotes Shakespeare Dreamers often lie in bed awake while they do dream things true. <laughs> <laughs> One must adopt either the way of imagination or the way of sense. No compromise or neutrality is possible. He who is not for me is against me, he quotes Matthew. When man finally identifies himself with his imagination rather than his senses, he has at long last discovered the core of reality. I've often been warned by self-styled realists that man will never realize his dream by simply imagining that it is already here. Yet man can realize his dream by simply imagining that it is already here. That's exactly what this collection of stories proves. If only men were prepared to live imaginatively in the feeling of the wish fulfilled, advancing confidently in their controlled waking dream then the power of imagining would answer their adventurous fancy and the wish fulfilled would break in upon them and take them unawares. Nothing is more continuously wonderful than the things that happen every day to the man with imagination sufficiently awake to realize their wonder. Observe your imaginal activities. Imagine better than the best you know and create a better world for yourself and others. Live as though the wish had come, even though it is yet to come, and you will shorten the period of waiting. The world is imaginal, not mechanistic. 
imaginal acts, not blind faith, determine the course of history. I love that first paragraph right after the Shakespeare quote. And I want to revisit it because I think it's an amazing paragraph. It says, one must adopt either the way of imagination or the way of sense. No compromise or neutrality is possible. Mm. And when you read that, I immediately went back to a little over a year ago to a story I've told you before about how I healed the ligaments in my knees. And when I was in the process of trying, uh, you'll remember I was, I, I was trying to take advantage of our bilateral nature. We have two arms, two legs, two, you know, two of all that. Yes. And my, at that point, my left knee was the one that was in extreme pain. My right knee, I was lying down. So my right knee was relatively calm, re- felt relatively good. And if I tried to stand up, I wouldn't have felt that way, but lying down, I felt that way. So I said, okay, I'm going to treat that one as if that's the healthy knee. And I'm going to imagine that the left knee that's inflamed and in pain feels that way, which was really hard to do because it was inflamed and in pain. It was, we're not talking like a, a dull ache. This is like, whoa, this is really hurting. And I was in the midst of that. But I did manage for split seconds of, at a time to focus so completely on my right knee and, and convince myself that my left knee felt that, that same way as my right knee did, that for split seconds at a time, the pain would go away completely. So when you read, one must adopt either the way of imagination or the way of sense, that's what I thought of. Because for those moments in time, I completely broke away from the way of sense and went completely into the way of imagination. Yeah, and there was no compromise. There was no compromise. was impossible, actually. Right. If I had tried to compromise, I would not have successfully imagined. Right. I remember you telling the story that when you first did it, it was like like a... Not even one whole second. It was just like right. you recognize, like, wait, I just did it. <laughs> I did it. I did it for like a half second, and then I did it again for about a, three quarters of a second, and then I did it a few minutes later for about a second and a half, and then I was exhausted. And I had to take a nap, but nevertheless, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and and I thereby proved that I could do it. So now it's a question of, well, all right. Yes, it took a lot of effort. It took a lot of really focused concentration in order to essentially believe that the left knee was not in pain or not even inflamed. I, I was, I was literally trying to imagine that knee was whole and healthy, but I did. And it proved to me, well, since I can do that for a few seconds, if I keep practicing that, not just with knees, but with anything, I can get better and better at it until I get to the point, like the couple in that first story where she said, you know, my, our belief was fused we had fused to that belief. We had fused to that reality as if it were true. It was now yeah. completely true in our minds. And this is what I remember this from the last time we were reading some Neville stories. It might have been a year ago, but suddenly we started recognizing that there was this um, a time frame kept showing up. I think it was three weeks. I could be wrong about that, but it was. Mm. And we, we noticed wait, haven't we read several stories where the person said, Three weeks later. Right, right, right. <laughs> three weeks later, it's like, oh, wait. And I noticed in the first story that same thing again. It, it's not that the house was man, the apartment building was manifested and constructed three weeks later. But what you just said is that after doing this imaginal activity of living at the end, living, it's already done. We don't need to look for a contractor. The thing's built. Living there, they said it was. The imagination was fused. The story was fused. The, it, it, I love that word. Mm-hmm. Because once things are fused, they don't separate. Right. And so to me, it says that once that imagination, once that story, whatever you want to call it, is fused, there's no more of this going back and forth of what's well, not really here, or it hasn't really happened, or we need to look for the contractor, or who's going to pay for this, or whatever. That's all. None of that would be relevant. Well, it wouldn't even be possible because, like you said, if it's fused, that it isn't possible to go back to that. The idea of it being fused is that that old thought process is gone, 100% yeah. gone. Right. Like, I'm sitting here in my office that's in my home that I own. How weird would it be for me to call a realtor and try to find somebody to sell me this house? <laughs> I, I mean, well, I would say almost exactly as weird as it was for, for each of these couples to imagine their houses. That's exactly how weird it was. Well, but that's what I'm saying is that it's not even something you think about. And yeah. I love that they recognize that. They said, wait a minute, we don't need a contractor. If the thing's already built and we're mm-hmm. living in the end of it, we're already sleeping there. We're already showing the rooms to people. 
we don't <laughs> let's skip that part and then it ha- and then it turns out that he's the very contractor that shows up yeah yeah Wonderful. absolutely just mind-blowingly amazing <laughs> well again this is this is where the pivot comes in mm. until until the thought process is fused right is that when we find ourselves looking for the contractor we pivot back to wait a minute um, this it's a done deal and and not that it's done and we know it's going to happen it's that we're living from the space as if it already did happen there's a, there's a subtle difference there or more precisely in our minds it did happen it's yeah. just it, it, it's already happened so so talking about trying to find a contractor or work the uh, blueprints or whatever would be ridiculous because we're already living there right and that's the subtle difference between you know between consciously recognizing, okay, I've imagined it and it's a done deal, but it's going to happen in the future. Yes. Because <laughs> that's the unspoken part we don't say sometimes, right? right. Yeah, I, know, I know it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. These people were actually living from the place of saying, no, it's, it's done. It's, yeah. it's actually the construction of it's in the past. It's in our past. We're sleeping there. We're living there. We're showing it. I think it's fantastic. And it is. I very much enjoyed this chapter. <laughs> Me too. I mean, I can hardly wait for the next one, but I can tell you one thing. After having read this chapter, which I said earlier was very poignant for Louise yes. and I, very timely, I can tell you what our dinner conversation is going to be like tonight. <laughs> I'm going to whip out this book and I'm going to say, uh, let me tell you a little bit about what Cindy and I talked about today as we uh, did Neville Day, as we do every Wednesday. I, I just want to read you these two stories. Right. And I know what her reaction is going to be. I don't know exactly how she'll phrase it, but I know what her reaction is going to be because we went to look at a couple of possible homes that we had seen, we found online. And when we went to see them with a realtor friend of ours, who, by the way, is also a listener of our podcast, Sandy's Dave Island, and a total believer in law of attraction. Um, and we went to look at it and we were completely disappointed because the photos made it look better than mm. you know, the, the place really was. And so we kind of came away from it disappointed. But while we were there, with every disappointment that was there, Louise was saying things like, well, no, no, our, our house is bigger than this. No, no, <laughs> we, we, we need more rooms than this. This isn't nearly enough space. You know, never mind what our finances are. Forget finances. This is not big enough. We need the bigger house. The, the bigger house is the one that we're looking for. We got to have that one. You know, she wasn't compromising at all on, on her belief. Right. Uh, and, and so she's going to reiterate in some way, I told you, this is the house we have to go for. This is it. This is it. <laughs> and I will say I agree completely. Let's do what Neville's talking about. <laughs> perfect. Well, tonight is a new moon, and that's a perfect time to fall asleep uh, and sleep okay. in that new place, right? Because it's the very beginning of another cycle uh, of our beautiful uh, cosmic clock, I like to call it. And it's a wonderful time to set intentions and decide what we're going to imagine. So perfect timing. <laughs> and by the way, I'm also going to uh, remind her of something that we have slipped on on the past. And that is we'll start something, but we won't continue it. You know, we did it last night. Okay. Well, that's good enough. We did it last night. No, no, no. Each of these stories, they do it every single night. They're doing it continuously. Right. It's you a know? continual thing. That's and right. That really affected me too today reading that. And I realized, yeah, that's something I've been working on for the past uh, 10 months. Mm-hmm. is I have a certain project and I realized that once I created it, I was kind of ready to move on to a new conscious creation. Okay, let's create something else. But this thing hasn't developed into what I imagine it to be yet. And mm-hmm. so I keep saying to myself, oh, no, you're not done there. You're not done. That's right. You're not done. There's, yeah. still, there's still some imagining to do until it's completely developed. So, <laughs> By the way, i got to share a comment. Je- Jeffrey, uh, first of all, I'll, I'll say publicly on, on the air, thank you, Jeffrey, for your good wishes regarding my mom's passing. I appreciate that. And they were beautifully written. Um, but just now, um, based on what we're talking about here, he says, I am a pivot monster. But sometimes, <laughs> it, but sometimes it takes a little help. <laughs> I, love I love that. I love it. <laughs> so love thank it. you very much. Perfect. So thank you for being our leader through the uh, netherworld of uh, Neville Goddard, which is just wonderful. We appreciate that so much. Remind people too how to reach uh, Cindy Chavez, the life coach. 
You can find me at cindychavez.com, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z. I would love to hear from you. Sounds good. And thank you to uh, to Jeffrey and to other live streamers. And thank you especially <laughs> to our podcast audience as well. We will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.